New Dissident Radio. On the interweb. Yes, here we are, folks, live on the interweb, or as I like to say, on the tubes, those big tubes, you know, those big tubes that are running everywhere in my head and stuff like that. Oh, hello, this is Kelly Carlin, and this is Waking from the American Dream. And, you know, as I like to do, we're going to uh, start with a song. The Clutter Family with Life the Movie. Uh, check them out on iTunes, certainly. Uh, you can Google The Clutter Family and hear who their uh, band is named after, if you're not familiar with the name of that uh, infamous family. Uh, and uh, The Clutter Family is made up of a couple of comedy writers, among other people, uh, Jim Earl. And uh, Chris Hobbs, uh, so check them out too on uh, Facebook and MySpace, things like that. I really like that song because, you know, we talk a lot here at Waking from the American Dream about, you know, what's real and what's illusion and all that kind of stuff and the choices we make. And uh, certainly, I think at times, my life literally feels like a movie 
because it's so surreal. Uh, and other times I choose to live my life like a movie. I mean, you know, some days I'm the victim, some days I'm the hero. Ah, you know how it is. What, you know, we get to choose who we are. So uh, today we're doing a little different format. Uh, the last couple times I've been on, we've been kind of cramming the hour with interviews. And this time uh, I've decided to take a little luxury of time and uh, blab at you a little more and have one nice long interview uh, with Mr. Gary Shandling. Very excited about sharing him with you guys today. Not that I own him or anything weird like that, but uh, Gary and I met uh, actually right after my father died. Uh, Gary called me, or I called him. No, I think he called me, and it was the week after my dad died, and I sat on the phone in my bathroom on the floor, (laughs) weeping into the phone as Gary was on his end, weeping into his Um, And he and I bonded and connected, and he's been uh, just an amazing friend. He is very different than what I thought he was going to be like, as you will see in this interview. Uh, Gary has been someone who's been practicing uh, meditation for over 20 years, and he's got an incredible uh, point of view and perspective on life and, uh, and certainly what we're talking about here in this hour in waking up in the many ways that we talk about waking up here. So what I think I would do, I've got four different sections of this interview. um, And what I'll do is I'm going to play the first section. And uh, I just want to let you know and warn you that there's a couple of weird little interference things here because I'm a total amateur when it comes to recording. (laughs) And I left my iPhone on right near the recorder. And so it makes this horrific noise. So what we're going to do is we actually jump into kind of the middle of our conversation here with Gary and I. And um, because I had to cut a bunch of stuff out. So uh, this is the first section of Gary and I. We're talking about uh, television and America. I once had to give a speech in front of uh, the uh, Beverly Hills Bar Association because uh, 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 there's a lawyer friend of mine that asked me as a favor. So this was a room of a thousand lawyers in Beverly Hills. And my opening was... uh, I have not seen Gloria Allred on TV for three weeks. Is she okay? (laughs) I'm worried about her. (laughs) So there's sort of, it's sort of like what's happened is uh, you don't exist in America unless you're on TV. So there's this panic to get on TV. Uh, although the internet is is catching up, uh, you know, thank God there's that. Well, uh, and that's actually why I'm doing this radio show. I figure this radio show will get me to TV, and then I'll officially be someone. Yeah. And, and then I'll be okay with yeah. myself finally. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. This. Is... I actually have in my will that uh, I, I don't want to be disconnected from the respirator if it's being covered by CNN. <laughs> Remember when that woman, they couldn't decide to unplug it, and it was the first story, and CNN just covered that story for two weeks? Terry Shiva. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, well, if CNN's covering it, keep it plugged in. (laughs) (laughs) But if no one's covering it, oh, I think I had to make a list. If it's down to Fox News, if it's down to CNBC, just pull the plug. (laughs) I'd really rather be dead than be on a small news then (laughs) do i need to finish that thought (laughs) (laughs) but there's a rush to be on tv yes there is there's a rush to be on tv yes yes uh well clearly with the reality show uh insane i don't even know what to call this reality show crap these days it's like um people don't care what's going to be happening to them on TV as long as they're on TV. Like, they're willing to be an asshole. They're willing to be, uh, you know, look bad. They're look, willing to be a bigot, a racist. Does not matter. As long as they're going to get a show out of it, they don't care. It's truly... Well, I think that's the way it's always been. Let's go over the qualities Let me think about this for a minute. Oh, what was I saying? Yeah, there was, never, there was never a requirement to have a TV show that you had to be <laughs> sane and compassionate. That's right. I'm yeah. sorry. But my friend Kevin Nealon said uh, the other day, he said, 
it's one thing if you're on a series and it gets canceled, but if you have a reality show canceled, <laughs> it's like saying, you know, your life doesn't isn't interesting to us. Wow, yeah. Your entire life isn't interesting. Yeah. But if the fact is, isn't it that uh, <clears throat> those reality shows are actually uh, th this is where the metaphysics comes in? They're not real, are they? Right. Right. No. No, they're not real. Of course not. They're they're manufactured. If Jesus came back, would he have a reality <laughs> show, or would it be more like a? It would be like an American Idol show, wouldn't it? <laughs> Wouldn't he just be, wouldn't Jesus just be the uh, American Idol? Wouldn't he win, would he win on he, American he Idol? He might, he might, you know, he might. But but I'm thinking if he came back, really, what, like, all the pundit debate would be going, like, how Glenn Beck, you know, because then, see, the problem is, is that Glenn Beck and those kind of people get, I think, the attention they want is because there really is no real Jesus here, so they can speak for him in some ways. And uh, yeah. I wonder what position they would actually take if the real guy came. It would be interesting. And then what would be great, which we've seen on many, many TV shows, is the actual person tap him on the shoulder. Exactly. And, go, and just watch Glenn Beck go, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> I, and Jesus saying... Now, <clears throat> let's go over the last... I said, Jesus, I swear, <laughs> if I had known you were coming by today, I might have changed it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, Jesus going, let's go over the last 2,000 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the real Christianity. Well, there, if, you go, if you go from Jesus to Glenn Beck, right? Right. In the last 2,000 years, it, it, this is where I myself start to doubt evolution <laughs> and, and and that's the truth <laughs> i mean I, yeah. I i can't believe that i'm questioning evolution but i'm just not seeing that much yeah yeah and that is something yeah well it's it's not the evolution we some of us hope for it's it may be though the actual evolution of the species this is what it might look like yeah you know? Well, it's like my shrink said, maybe, you know, like uh, personal spiritual growth, it, it's it's not linear. It's two steps forward, three steps backwards. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what all this is. Maybe. Maybe yeah. that's the dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but uh, I, I can't stay on the dance floor much longer. <laughs> it's an awkward dance. It is. It's a dance where I'd be, where I'm a... I'd like to be a wallflower. Well, you know, and that's something you and I were talking about uh, last time we met, had lunch, and we were talking about that, the difference between being on the dance floor and, um, which, which these days feels more like a mosh pit, the way people are just kind of pushing and shoving, and there's so much, um, uh, you know, polemic rhetoric out there, and... And all of it's that. people choosing sides. We were talking about yes. that people choose sides, yes, because they don't have their own true identity. If you actually know yourself and your true self, you don't feel the need so quickly to jump up and take a side. Uh, and in some Buddhist thinking, taking a side. Um, and this is a delicate area because it can be misunderstood as not taking action. Right. But, you know, that, that taking a side automatically creates another side. Mm -hmm. So it's like, uh, you know, the things that they're arguing about are two sides of the same coin. And so whether you're left or right or Democrat or Republican or black or white, you're, you're jumping out, you're, you're separating, everybody is separating themselves into categories because they're not getting down to their true self, where in fact there's no difference. Right, right. So that's where we have to grow as uh, human beings and <clears throat> where, where that fits into the political discourse is of course what uh, I'm searching for and the, uh, what your father so keenly uh, touched on and uh, and um, 
expressed and uh, ex ex examined in his own in his own personal way, and uh, and that frustration of you're taking a side when there's no side to be taken. That's you're 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 the problem. Right. You know we're never if you know I've said the Palestinians and the Israelis look at the Democrats and Republicans and think, oh, you you people are never going to get your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, there's so much, people are so stuck on their positions yeah. <clears throat> that it's because they don't know their true self. So that was part one of the interview. So this true self that Gary and I are talking about, uh, you know, this is kind of a a term that is used a lot in Buddhism. And if you recall my conversation with Genpo Roshi in my first show, and if you don't recall it, well, you can go download it and listen to it. Uh, Genpo Roshi, who's a Zen master, he and I were also talking about the transcendent self. So this true self is this aspect of self that uh, is, is able to rise above the duality that we live in, the right, wrong, left, right, up, down in out duality and and it's, it's able to transcend it and yet embrace it at the same time it's it's this unique state of consciousness where you actually have no preference it's uh it's hard to describe from the outside uh because it sounds like this kind of weird state of mind and it, and it, and it sounds like, and in some ways like you're kind of copping out and you're, you're pulling the plug and, and you're detaching too much. But within this state, when you're really able to reach a place and some, some people call higher consciousness, but this place of non duality, you actually see that you don't prefer any side, but at the same time you can see from every side at the same moment and so you really embrace everything from that perspective. And a lot of wisdom and compassion then arises inside of you towards all points of view. It's, it's as if every perspective is your child suddenly. And, and you can't pick a child. I mean, how do you do that? You can't pick a favorite. So it's, it's a unique thing. And really what Gary and I have been struggling with lately, and we've been talking a lot about this, partly in, in this interview and, and partly before, before this, is how to be in the world but not of it. And especially these days, because everyone's demanding everyone to take a side on things, and especially during an election year. It's just such a nightmare right now. And um, so my question always is, is how do you transcend this dualistic place and yet still be engaged in the world. And I, and I really feel that's where my kind of my growing edge is right now as a human being. So that's the true self that Gary keeps mentioning. Um, in the next part of our interview here, uh, we actually talk about mindfulness practice a little bit and, and, and the point of mindfulness. And he talks a little bit about meditation also. So enjoy this. What I'm interested in in this show, and part of it is, is my own journey with this, is, is how do you know when you are pulling back from the clamor and the, the culture in order to look within? And when is, you know, when is that a act of really finding your true self or when is it a total act of self-delusion more narcissistic bullshit you know because some people go oh well you're just going to be you know gazing at your navel and all this kind of stuff and you know and it's ultimately it's a very selfish thing but so there so there is this difference between this kind of selfish self-obsessed looking at yourself and really looking at yourself. Well, you you know the answer to this. So here we are uh, for a moment pretending that we don't know the answer. But yeah. you, you know that the, the issue is that uh, <clears throat> uh, being mindful mm -hmm. means that you ha are able to stay in this moment and assess instantaneously intuitively whether or not you are pulling back and going into some self-centered narcissistic withdrawal 
or in fact just being. Right. Now, uh, any monk uh, or any monk that I know um, understands that battle. Yes. And that is why uh, they meditate six times a day because the mind left alone will take you. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, yes. when I, I've caught my monk friend meditating, you know, I'll be, fortunately not when I'm talking, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't looked over and been surprised yet. <laughs> Which would indicate to me that I'm just blabbing on. If I was turned to yes. my monk friend yes. and he was sitting there, right. I would feel foolish and clearly have been running at the mouth. Right, right, right. Okay. But I have uh, just walked into the living room after walking into the kitchen, walked back into the living room, and he's sitting there on the couch, cross-legged, meditating. Mm -hmm. Because I think, um, which is why the monastery has a wall around it, so it can be closed off from these right. influences right. To, to get some help. Right. Um, and... Uh, um, in, in fact, my monk friend who's uh, Vietnamese said he, he doesn't know if he could maintain his practice in Los Angeles. Well, and, and when I was on a Thich Nhat Hanh retreat, one of my first ones, mm. we were with him for five days, a very intensive retreat, and that's the mindfulness training also. And, and he said, you know, we have the easy job. We get to go back to our monastery in the countryside of France where there is a wall around it, and right. we don't really have to deal with this. You people have to get on a freeway now and go back into your life and try and integrate this sense of mindfulness into the chaos that is out there. I mean, absolutely. So, so then, if you're if you're if you're using um, uh, this life as your practice in in knowing your true self and finding your true self, which then is, in my opinion, uh, and in others' opinion. Uh, that is the way of actually serving others because mm -hmm. you can't serve others uh, deeply until you're, you're, you're functioning from your mm -hmm. true self. Um, <clears throat> so that all of the, these conflicts that we're talking about that we see on TV and the people yelling and screaming and uh, all the horrible th things um, have to be used uh, as a... Uh, a mindful mindfulness situation where you you watch you observe and uh, don't feel the need to jump in yes. right away well, and you suddenly begin learning and you get all kinds of different instincts that people don't get because they don't they aren't quiet in observing well and and even the the practice of watching someone talk who would who triggers me politically like let's say Glenn Beck or mm. Sarah Palin and and watching them in a way where I let myself just breathe mm -hmm. and not take it personally because it starts to become like personal triggers right. to me like they're attacking me right. personally and my ideas and my thoughts right. and my concepts about how it should be and then so therefore the first question I have to ask myself is well is there a way that it should be? That we're all arguing about how it should be in America. And one of the questions you do ask yourself when you're doing specifically more of a Buddhist type of practice is, you know, it's just an, that's ultimately just an idea and a thought anyway of how it should be. Well, I mean, I, I think the problem is uh, that everybody does take everything personally. And so... One of the first uh, sort of uh, rules of uh, healthy psychology, let alone any any sort of Buddhist practice, is to learn not to take things personally. So I, I agree with you that what happens is someone hears something that's against what their belief system is and they react very quickly because, you see, the... Uh, <clears throat> The situation we've gotten ourselves into uh, on, on this planet uh, at this time is that uh, everybody is afraid and they're trying to make everything safe 
and permanent, mm -hmm. which goes against the actual laws of nature right. and <laughs> physics. <laughs> which everything, everything changes. Is, everything changes and everything's moving. And, you know, I was watching a special on Armageddon and it says, you know, and, and asteroids will be hitting the Earth. Well, that, that's in physics. Everybody agrees that asteroids are going to hit the Earth. Right. So the, these are laws of nature that, that, that you're, you're, you're trying so desperately to be secure. Right. That you're not even living life. You're just trying to be secure because life is insecure. Mm-hmm. And so if we, then you wouldn't take things personally because you're willing not to be, uh, <clears throat> have a permanent belief system behind which you can feel safe and secure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful dichotomy, really, when you try and break it down. It yeah. sounds like yeah. a, uh, it's so, the trouble is, is, uh, the truth is so simple, it's impossible for most people to get. Well, because the mind wants to make it... More complicated. Totally. <laughs> and so that's why all these shows exist and all uh, everybody's talking. So uh, that was part two of my interview with Gary Shandling. This is Waking from the American Dream, if you're wondering how you landed here. But <laughs> you've landed here, it means you hit a button, <laughs> so you must know where you are. Okay, then. So uh, Gary and I were talking there about this idea of impermanence. And this is a tough one because sometimes it can really sound like, well, it's just all relativistic. You know, we just, nothing's, you know, there, there's, there's no bottom line to anything. There's, there's nothing we can hold on to and say, this is right and this is wrong. And, and in reality, there really isn't. I mean, all those things are basically arbitrary concepts that we've decided on. And, and what Gary and I were talking about is that, you know, life does change. Every moment things are changing. And there's a part of us, which, you know, we call the ego, that wants to maintain what things are. And, and it's, it's a good, important thing. I mean, you know, obviously we all need to, like, drive our cars and have relationships and have a language. So, so there's certain things that do need continuity and, and do need a sense of permanence because you can't have everything reinvented every second. But... But what happens is, is we get completely attached to how things are. And then when life comes along and changes things, like with death, for example, uh, we get this huge wake-up call, basically, because it's like, oh, I see, it really isn't permanent, because some part of us really does believe it's permanent. And and part of what this permanence does, and the seeking of permanence, is is this, what we were talking about, taking things personally, you know, we, we get so entrenched in our beliefs and our thoughts that we, we, it becomes life or death if we don't agree with someone or someone disagrees with us or someone has a different point of view. And yes, there are some really serious disagreements going on in the world right now and some serious disagreements going on in this country. And I would say that there is a way to come down on those things which, you know, are probably have more fairness and more justice to more people, which is always a position that I like to take. But the interesting thing is, is that we're no longer even giving the other side a, a moment to breathe or speak. You know, I'm talking about the right and the left. I was listening to an interesting interview the other day with uh, some senators, some former senators who are reaching out to congressmen and senators uh, from the old days because they want to try to bring civility back into Congress because no one hangs out with each other anymore. No one plays poker. No one socializes. These people are so busy either are either in Washington with lobbyists or at home raising money. that They're not together socializing anymore and meeting with each other as human beings. And so, you know, this is, this is an important thing for us to meet each other as human beings. Um, and so there's more on this here that Gary and I go into about taking sides and the difficulty of it and, and, uh, and the position it ends up uh, leaving you in. So check this out. I think, you know, once you travel along this path, I, I know I've started to come to a place now where I've, you know, kind of understood who I am as a person and my name is Kelly and this is who I am and this is my interests and this is what I'm willing to fight for. And now I've, I've been on a journey which is like, 
oh, but this identity is ultimately just an idea and a concept and I can choose to put it on or to take it off Mm -hmm. in any moment. Mm -hmm. And the place my dad had gotten to, which was really interesting, was he chose to kind of see it all as life, as this big entertainment, you know, which is a place you can get to from a very detached place and 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 I love that and and here's the game for me is that yes you can watch it all as an entertainment and say wow wow look look at this dance we're doing this thing called the human dance right and then at the same time you can jump in at any moment to participate in the well, what they say is, you know, the easing of other people's suffering in this dance. Oh, also. Yeah, whatever, get involved in the process. Yeah, yeah. But but uh, what what uh, is is exactly uh, <clears throat> right is that your your dad's position is actually what is a healthy existential position, which is seeing the world as absurd. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> a crazy position is. Uh, is that you cannot see the absurdity, you see these uh, crazy things and get involved with them in a in an angry, uh, side-oriented, choosing side-oriented way. Now, 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 one might say, well, then you're choosing not to get involved. Uh, and I say, uh, choose not to get involved. Well, my gosh, we could, we could play... Uh, any five minutes of your father's uh, routine and go, there's more insight than we're going to get from any uh, politician. Uh, So that's quite a contribution. And probably uh, an artist's mind is such that it's usually open enough to be able to laugh at the absurdity. I would guess probably the last, especially the last 10 years, where the hypocrisy has become so thick in the mainstream media. I mean, just like the way people cover things and the politics, and that the only people who are speaking the truth out there, and, and it's probably been true, I mean, ever since the beginning of, of you know, civilization, are the artists, that they're the only ones who have the freedom to be outside of it all enough to, A, observe it all from an mm-hmm. outsider's perspective, mm-hmm. and not have enough involved in the system that they have nothing to lose so that they can speak the truth. Yeah, I think that's that's right. Uh, so, um, uh, I find myself occasionally uh, getting uh, angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we could discuss uh, those things, but I, it would be, uh, the hypocrisy would be one, one easy one. And... Uh, <clears throat> Then when I start to write my comedy now, and I'm trying to look at these areas, because I'm writing my comedy and because I'm committed to this path that we've discussed of mindfulness, uh, I notice that my uh, uh, I'm angry, uh, but uh, really uh, an angry perspective will usually not get you any further than what we're already seeing. I right. mean, any position I take where I'm angry is going to be covered by... <laughs> someone's already doing that material. <laughs> yes, yeah, someone's already doing that. First of all, there are comedians. If you, if you take Bill Maher, uh, who is fantastic, he's covering the left and he gets angry. Yes. And uh, he's got that down. And uh, I, I don't know who at the moment has the... Uh, right, but uh, well, Glenn Beck doesn't consider himself a comedian, but right, <laughs> but he plays one on TV, <laughs> <laughs> which is all that's important. And um, uh, uh, so uh, at the moment, I struggle to find the middle position, yeah, which is uh, a mosque is being built. Uh, in Manhattan, close to where the Twin Towers were uh, destroyed. Now, any thought, that that's what is. 
any thought past that mm -hmm. is the brain thinking. So you want to make sure to be very careful taking any next step after what is. Right. And instead of anybody doing that, they jumped on, oh, but it's an Islamic church, and, and, da, 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 and it just is endless. Whereas when I say, as I, as I said earlier, when I told my friend he should build, uh, turn his apartment <laughs> into a mosque so he could get a little more activity in his life, it actually is not, I'm actually not, in a way, taking a position, but pointing to the absurdity. Yes. To the absolute absurdity because, uh, you know, it's hard in L.A. to find an equivalent, but if we go down to the La Brea Tar Pits, they, they built office buildings right next to there, and I think that's disrespectful to the dinosaurs. <laughs> you know, there's probably a church in that neighborhood, too, which would also be disrespectful to the dinosaurs because they reject evolution, and they don't even say the dinosaurs were, you know... I was against the synagogue they were building in Brentwood 10 years ago. I was out there by myself saying, how many, how many Jews already live here in Brentwood? <laughs> and then they said, well, are you anti-Semitic? I said, no, I respect it. They've got, this, they've got the country of Israel. I mean, you know, you can go anywhere. You can make up an argument for anything. I went to a synagogue. I went, I went, I quit right before Bar Mitzvah time. So that uh, there's no, so there's no legal record. <laughs> <laughs> I come out clean. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like the mob. <laughs> you can trace me back to one one tenth of a second before my bar mitzvah, but you cannot nail it down. <laughs> so they're so uptight. They're so identified with their religion and this and that. Mm -hmm. Well. This is what, how we're talking now, uh, you know, um, probably couldn't have been done in certain countries where there were uh, dictators, you know, they'd say you can't have that kind of communication. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 um, I've talked to people who have a very locked down position politically and as a test, and I, I really don't remember if I read this in a magazine and then tried it. Or did it and then read it in a magazine and said, oh, I've tried that. Uh, but <clears throat> when you find someone locked down in a political position, you know, just gradually change the conversation to, uh, what kind of dog do you like? <clears throat> and I remember someone saying, a German Shepherd. And I said, uh, any others? No. German Shepherd. And then you go, well, what about... Uh, and you start naming it, and they, they, they don't even want to consider it. They, don't, they can't even say, well, that's an interesting breed, but, you know, they, they're too hyper for me. Right. It, no. Right. And you can watch that, and you can see Glenn Beck saying, that's not the kind of dog we would have, is it? <laughs> yeah. Now, I also wouldn't say we want to be on the bandwagon that attacks Glenn Beck. Right, absolutely. Uh, you know, because... I agree, yes. Um, <clears throat> the lighting is great. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I love chalkboards. I really do. I, 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 I never got enough school, and so to be lectured. But... Um, but it's an interesting... You know, I've, I've seen, you know I, I don't really like... Uh, uh, um, liberal, uh, you know, uh, radical li liberal, you know... Uh, whining? <laughs> or, or not whining, but very, uh, you know, predictable... Yes. Uh, ...left positions. Yes. Um, well, I think predictable is the right word. Predictable, I, yeah. I, it really is. It's predictable on either side which right. for me which is what we were talking about before which is like has this person really thought about this and really gone into their own heart and their own space and their own life experience to think that about that position th th that is the core of what you and I talk about and what this is about is we we are saying that 
rather than sit here and judge all of these circumstances and these positions, let's look at the specific person as a human being and ask if they're coming from a true place within themselves. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> if you get caught up in the words, there's nothing there. I mean, there are always special words that uh, mean, mean something, but in general, what we're saying is look at the heart and the, and the sense of, uh, of the person. Uh, and that is done without judgment. You only need to intuitively know if you just intuitively listen. And that means your brain is not working while you're listening. Wow. Otherwise, you're not there. You're not there. And uh, that's why I said, um, I always thought the way to debate Dick Cheney was when it's your turn, take your three minutes and just stare at him mm. and see how he deals with that three minutes of dead quiet. I think it'd be really interesting. Wow. That is part three of my interview with Gary Shandling. And we're going to go right into part four here as we continue on in this discussion. This is Waking from the American Dream with Kelly Carlin. This week, it just hit me, actually it was last night, I was on Facebook, and uh, someone was talking about the movie The Hurt Locker. And it was yeah. someone on the the left, and they had kind of, I don't know if they'd seen the film or not, but they'd heard some things about it, and they were just rejecting the film. I, I thought originally, I, I got very frightened... Um, that it was about my therapy sessions <laughs> <laughs> because they said well there's a guy who wears a you know a flak jacket and an entire bomb suit and then comes in and has to and i said is there a woman that sits across from him and says what's the problem they said no i said that's a relief <laughs> but so what happened with the hurt locker so so and i i loved the film uh, it was one of those films that really like helped me understand what it's like to be in Iraq as yeah. a soldier. And yeah. and so it really I, I thought it was a well made film, all of that. And I and I went to type that and I did. I typed it in and said, Well, this is my experience of it. And whenever I do that now on Facebook, whether it's someone who's ranting from the right or the left, and I have a slightly different opinion and I go to hit that send button, I get these butterflies in my stomach like, oh, what's going to come back at me? Mm -hmm. Because everything feels so heightened, like you were just talking mm -hmm. about right now. And, 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 and what I've found, though, is the more I write from my experience and my heart and just mm -hmm. how I see it, and I'm completely detached about whether someone's going to get it or if they're going to, you know, whatever, attack me or whatever, but... I've, I've found that the people then come back at me from a more centered place also. Yeah, I just, uh, you saw me writing while, uh, while you were speaking. I actually wrote that down because I think uh, that's a, it's a great note to, to have because uh, it's, it's perfectly put and, and, and supports what we're talking about, supports the theory that we're talking about, which is uh, the less you're out of your mind, the less you're out of your head, <laughs> the more you're out of your mind and less out of your ass. Wait, I don't remember it... how the saying goes. <laughs> I'm in my ass. I'm in your ass. That's. But I'm out of my mind. I'm uh, Once in my ass, your fault. Twice in my ass, my fault. <laughs> uh... You know how I used to slip in dirty words in high school during the spelling bee? They used to go spell uh, accidental, accidental, M A, M accidental, M A S T U R B A T E, accidental. <laughs> they go no. What are they going to call Mr. Shandley? Your son's using filthy language. No, I can't spell. I'm a bad speller. Okay, now. I wrote that down because I, I think it's such a good note that it reaffirms what I believe and uh, that when you talk from my experience rather than preach a position yeah. people will attack less and that's what needs to be deflated in our entire society in our entire society and probably the entire world yeah. and probably the entire universe but then I feel like I'm 
talking over my head. <laughs> but I do think the universe exists. Well, we're in it. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're in the universe. And um, there were no problems before the Big Bang, is what I like to say. <laughs> I'm actually reading a book about that stuff right now. And it's Are you reading the Stephen Hawking's book? No, I'm reading another book called The View from the Center of the Universe. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's a cool book. Stephen Hawking's has something called the creation of the universe. Yeah, I think I, I, I might want to go there next. This this thing's pretty cool, though. And uh, the thing I like about it is what this cosmologist and his wife, who's an author, are trying to do is they're trying to help humans put themselves back into relationship with the universe, right. which we which we've lost for about 400 years yeah. Since the whole Newtonian and all, you know, all of yes. that happened when right. we were like, oh, you know, our relationship with the universe is now we deal with that either scientifically or metaphysically over here. And these scientists are trying to really find a new way to mythologize in the positive sense of that word, right. uh, humans place and relationship with the universe and it's it's lovely because they think that you know if they can do that then we'll have a very different relationship with a the planet and b with each other because we'll actually see that he, conscious living matter which yes. what humans are is such a, a speck of a percent of what's in the universe right we have to get that this is like a miracle whether you think it's done by god or not it's a freaking miracle. Right. Now, here's uh, what blocks what's blocking that. Uh, what evil is is actually ego. So uh, we we really don't need to work so hard on on, on what's evil. A anything that's involved with the ego is uh, evil, uh, and I'm sure. That could be uh, argued like, well, but even an athlete has to have an ego. Trust me that when an athlete is in a zone, there's no ego there. Okay? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> ego would block that idea because you have to give up ego in order to sense that you are part of a bigger thing. Yes. And that is where, uh, that's a bridge we have to, Cross. Also, I wanted to recommend while well, I was just realizing it that I enjoy most, and you might. Uh, I, I love mostly. Uh, I, I like listening to Stephen Hawking's on tape. <laughs> His books on tape. <laughs> well, and and with now and here's the truth. I don't I don't know if he if he ever has done that. I I don't know, but. Uh, uh, with that recommendation, unfortunately, we have to go today. But I want to thank you, Gary. Yes, for... and you know why? There's another reason. Why? Enough is enough. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's it, folks. Uh, here from uh, the middle of uh, Brentwood somewhere. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you. Yes, the exact coordinates are on the Al-Qaeda hit list. <laughs> so the great Gary Shandling... Uh, thankfully spent an hour with me and let me hang out with him and talk about all those amazing things. Before we go here today, I just want to plug a couple things. I'm going to be at the Conscious Life Expo this Sunday. It's the LAX Hilton in Los Angeles here. I'm doing a free lecture. Okay, it's not a free lecture. It, it's, they call it a free lecture. Uh, it's 25 bucks to get in at the door, but that's the whole day charge. You can be there all day for $25. It's 20 bucks advanced. Sunday at 4 o'clock, I'm giving a 45-minute talk on my own journey in waking from the American dream. So come watch me tap dance because it's going to be my first public speaking gig, but I'm excited. So come on down and meet me. I also want to let people know that I'm going to be on the Lewis Black Caribbean cruise November 7th through the 14th. So, you know, if you got a couple of grand extra in your savings account, you want to come hang out with me and Lewis Black and Kathleen Madigan and Larry Wilmore and a bunch of other comics and go to the uh, Western Caribbean, I believe they call it. So we're going to go to Mexico and the Grand Caymans and we're going to ice skate on the boat and they're going to do comedy all night long. It's going to be great. Come check that out. And uh, we'll be back uh, with our show here in two weeks. And I'm um, ending the show here with a great song that's called The Bob Sweet Part 2. It's by Travis and Shook, who I played on my first show. 
These guys used to open for my dad in the 70s. And this particular song, the second half of the song, make sure you listen to the whole song. My dad and I used to sing harmonies, too. So uh, have a great two weeks. We'll see you in two weeks. And uh, be kind to each other. Bye-bye. Just smoking